This is the Institute for Music Leadership. Hey, Georgia, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. Is, uh, is Grant with you or is he going to be? He will be joining us. Actually, I meant to send him. Welcome to another episode of Create, Inspire, Lead. I'm Stephen Bigner. Today, we're talking with Georgia. Uh, so my name is Georgia Mills. I'm a second year master's in orchestral conducting under Brad Lubman here at Eastman. And in just a moment, we'll meet our colleague. There he is. Oh, look at that. <laughs> uh, hi. <laughs> hey, Grant. <laughs> I you're better late than never. <laughs> this is Grant. My name is Grant O'Brien. I am a first year master's student uh, studying with Professor Brad Lubman, uh, in orchestral conducting. Um, I actually did my undergrad at Eastman. And when these two decided to come back to Eastman in the middle of a pandemic, they were met with some news. Yeah, so essentially what it was is we are typically conducting in Music Nova, and Music Nova has gone virtual this semester because of the pandemic. Not only was Music Nova virtual, but their teacher, Brad Lubman, would also be teaching remotely in the fall. So Georgia and Grant reached out to one another. I mean, as soon as we learned that we wouldn't have Musica Nova, Georgia and I were like, okay, we need to go on a walk. We need to, we got to plot. The result of their plotting, starting their own ensemble. Do you have a name for the group? We have a name. It's, um, it was meant to be temporary, but we've ended up keeping it. It's called Mo Ensemble, M-O for Mills O'Brien. And so today we're going to talk to the founders of Mo Ensemble and find out what went into getting this set up for the semester? What roadblocks did they encounter? And talk a little bit about the pieces they've chosen for the group and how you can hear the culmination of all their work. All of that coming up after a short break. Course registration for Eastman students begins the week of December 7th. And whether you're looking for an extra course to keep you full time, or maybe you just want to take a course to help you further your career, the Arts Leadership Program has several courses you can take during the spring semester. ALP courses aren't just administrative courses, but they run the gamut from studio teaching to concert programming and community engagement. You can take a course learning how to write grants or one on how to copyright and license your music. ALP courses help you consider your music and art from a different, often entrepreneurial perspective that's so important in today's musical landscape. Courses are open to all grad students and to all sophomores, juniors, and seniors. For more information and to see a full list of courses offered, visit iml.esm.rochester.edu forward slash ALP. That's iml.esm.rochester.edu forward slash ALP. Welcome back. So... Facing a semester of no podium time for two conducting students was daunting. Podium time is so important, and while there are some things you can work on over Zoom, it's not quite the same. I mean, our, our teacher actually describes it really great. He says, um, conducting without an orchestra is like cooking with plastic food. You can't learn how it cooks all the way through. You're never going to understand 
and all the nuances of how to make the taste or the flavor, bring out the flavor and things. With plastic food, it's just you're conducting with no one in front of you and no one's responding to you and you can't re- react to them. Georgia and Grant knew that having a group to conduct would be crucial to their educational experience. The trick was figuring out how to make that work during a pandemic and during a time when rehearsal space was at a premium. The first step was writing to the administration. So we kind of wrote a passionate letter to the administration um, explaining our situation and what we really hope to get out of the semester as in-person students. And in their impassioned letter, they offered a plan. We sent a proposal to the two deans here at Eastman. Um, There were a couple little tweaks they wanted to make. I think I had initially proposed a piece with electronics. They rejected that because there's so many wires involved and COVID, you know, we we want to remain as safe as possible. I completely understood that that concern. So the two circled back and reconsidered what rep they could perform. And it was tricky because each group of instruments or singers, they all had different requirements. For example, if they had chosen pieces with winds or brass, students would need to be nine feet apart. And for the size of the ensemble they were aiming for, they'd need a much bigger space, which could be harder to come by. And there were concerns about other instruments as well. Also with percussion, it's hard to move percussion. There's a lot, um, there are a lot of kind of COVID concerns in terms of who's touching the percussion instruments. So we were- After carefully considering all the various restrictions and safety protocols for each type of ensemble, they came to a decision. We decided we wanted to do a string rep because um, for me, for the one logistical reason is that they can rehearse for longer. So that gives us more podium time. Luckily, we don't have to be more than six feet away from each other with string players. So Georgia and Grant got to work on a new proposal. After a few repertoire tweaks and limiting their group to a string ensemble, the administration said, okay, we'll give you a space as long as you adhere to the safety protocols. And so Mo Ensemble got underway. I think it's three on a part, so it's not um, a large ensemble by any means, but it was enough for us to still practice our conducting and especially work with string players, which is something that Grant and I both wanted this semester. Of course, getting the okay from the administration was just the beginning. Now, they had to recruit, and Grant jumped right on it. I don't want to spend one more second not having an orchestra, because it scares the daylights out of me. Like, I want want everything set, I want to know, so. So, he just sent out emails. I I just sent out, I I emailed, I, I, we didn't really talk about it. We just like, I was like, okay, let's go. Let's let's start figuring this stuff out and, um, you know. Grant reached out to Meredith Gangler in the ensemble library and asked for help connecting him with players. He and Georgia tapped into their collective resources and reached out, followed up, and tracked people down. And it was tough because sometimes the players themselves weren't sure what their plans for the semester would be. Some of the people that Georgia and Grant spoke to thought they might take a leave of absence or maybe they'd stay at home and take all remote classes and lessons. But eventually, the group solidified. So about a month into school, we we got we got 13 string players. But we ended up with just like the best ensemble that we could have asked for, and they were all very enthusiastic about it. So we were lucky in that way. And all the wonderful players they recruited, they're doing this project solely on a volunteer basis. They're all such champs for saying yes, because we can't offer much. Um, I mean, I'm offering them 
baked goods and, uh, you know, Java's at the end of the semester. But essentially, Georgia and Grant had their ensemble, but it wasn't all smooth sailing from there. And so the, the first thing I'll say is that um, when, you, when you're stepping into a new rehearsal, it's one thing to look at a new piece, but when it's a new group, you're kind of understanding the dynamic of everyone. You're like, okay, well, this is the concert master. This is like, who's, gonna, who's working with me here? Like who is, you know, and, and I, I don't know all of them personally, but I've gotten to know them all personally. So there's, there's that element to it as well of like, okay, what is the, what kind of culture are we creating here? Like what, uh, you know, so, so getting each other, just kind of getting each other's vibe, them getting used to me um, was something that was kind of a, you know, our first step. Aside from the interpersonal elements, there were other more concrete issues they had to deal with. Like Georgia had planned to do Shaker Loops by John Adams always loved Shaker Loops is one of my favorite string orchestra pieces. Um, I've always wanted to conduct a John Adams work. John Adams himself conduct his own work. So um, it's great to like hear his recordings and then try to emulate it or maybe even change a couple of the interpretive things just because um, that's something that as a conductor you need to be able to do is, is put your own spin on things. So, But she was only able to just start rehearsing it the week of October 19th almost two months into the semester. The only reason we had to wait this long is because it, it was on back order. So that's another problem with COVID era uh, ensemble playing is that you have to, for rentals, it takes a long time for it to get, you, to get to you. So. so for the first few weeks of having the ensemble, Georgia had to figure out how to best utilize them. And so she decided it would be good for her and fun for the group to just read through a bunch of pieces. I'm just going through repertoire with them, uh, standard rep, uh, string orchestra pieces. So we've done, so far we've done, um, last week we did Janacek's String Suite, which was very fun. We read through Barbara Adagio for, string, uh, Adagio for Strings. And then the week before, we had read Mendelssohn Octet. For Grant, though, he's been able to work on the repertoire he chose pretty much from the very beginning. And he had put a lot of thought into what he wanted to program. Yeah, I mean, uh, this summer, um, you know, after the death of George Floyd and um, protests began to erupt throughout the United States, and I, uh, I, 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 a political awakening uh, rose within me, and I, I immediately started looking up uh, underrepresented composers. I was just like, okay, there's databases online, there's, you know, Spotify, there's whatever. I need to enrich my playlist. I need to enrich my like vocabulary on like, uh, you know, these composers. Grant dug in and was reading books, getting recommendations, skimming through playlists, and sometimes just randomly looking things up. At a random point, I stumbled. There's a, there's a, an album, uh, that's specifically just, uh, black women of color, like orchestral composers. And I stumbled upon Banner actually, which, is an amazing piece of music um, for uh, orchestra that Jesse Montgomery had written. Uh, I, the year's dropping me now, but um, I was like, there's a pretty cool tuba solo in this, which- <laughs> Grant is a tuba player himself, so he's always on the lookout for a hot tuba solo. But after all the tuba excitement subsided, he listened to other pieces by Montgomery. There was a great piece called Strum for String Quartet, um, a big string piece called Starburst. And then he heard the piece he ultimately settled on. And then there's uh, a source code, which is also for string quartet, but she has a version version for string ensemble. 
And so I listened to it and thought, wow, there's some moments in here that's going to be difficult for me as a conductor. Because Grant appreciated all the challenges the piece would present technically and was also excited to bring a piece of music from a black female composer to the group. And source code felt like the right piece of hers to choose because the source code or raw materials that Montgomery uses, well, I'll let Grant explain. In, in her program notes, she mentions that uh, the melodies aren't derived from a specific, um, uh, you know, uh, song, uh, but they're all derived from uh, uh, essentially, you know, slave songs. Um, they're all derived from these, 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 um, the, the, the kind of motives that you might hear. And, and so um, in that, I was like, this is amazing. This is, and, and I just, I fell in love with it. Finally, on top of all the startup issues and the musical artistic concerns, there's the day-to-day of keeping a small ensemble running. Georgia's top tip for handling that? Being very proactive about emails. Uh, there's a lot of kind of administrative. And the administrative aspects were not totally foreign to Georgia or to Grant necessarily, but a lot of people look at administrative jobs as, as something to fall back on, something separate from their music making. But Georgia and Grant were finding that it was also a crucial skill they needed in order to achieve and continue their music making. We were scheduling rehearsals, we were organizing time with our players specifically, we were getting subs and and helping people get subs. Um, We were acting as liaisons between the administration at Eastman and our group. So I think, um, as you know, I was part of the um, Institute of Music Leadership degree program. Georgia got an MA in the Music Leadership Program, which is part of the IML, led by the wonderful Rachel Roberts. I actually learned a lot about uh, how how to run an ensemble, and that definitely came to play uh, as we've been organizing this group, just in terms of being able to be a leader, take take administrative action where where it's needed, be very, very pointed and and, uh, stalwart about what we wanted out of this ensemble, especially toward the administration. Administrating is essential to what you do in order to make your music. Even if you just play in a small ensemble or as a soloist, you're using admin skills to organize your time, keep track of and answer emails about gigs or other opportunities, update your resume, and on and on. It's intrinsic to what you do, whether you realize it or not. And if you can hone and develop your admin chops, it can yield some pretty good results. I always like to start with a large group if there is a change in personnel. And then the second work is has less and less. So that it's like people, if you, if you need everyone at the beginning, keep them all there. And then gradually people leave until the rehearsal is done. That's like a, how I like to program. Bless you. The number of rehearsals that no I've been in. No one does that. <laughs> no one does that. And it's so, it's such an under... Seriously, if you take nothing away from this episode other than scheduling your rehearsals around the personnel needed for each piece, I'll consider it a success. I can't even begin to explain. Anyway... The ensemble is still ongoing. They're still meeting each week to give Georgia and Grant podium time, and just so you know, they aren't doing this in a vacuum. Their teacher, Brad Lubman, totally supports them and often sits in on rehearsals. He's actually in Zoom and in a Zoom call with us, so he's watching um, our conducting. Our conducting. He doesn't really weigh in on a ton in those rehearsals, but afterwards, he'll send us emails full of like a you know, paragraphs of things that we can do better for next time and and good feedback. So that's always helpful. So there are still elements of running their own ensemble that Georgia and Grant are discovering in the moment, but what's the end goal? 
Grant is uh, scheduling a recording session for this weekend, I believe. Yeah, it's on Sunday. So it's soon. And they've been, he's been working on them um, with this piece for the past month. So since the beginning of October, they're culminating that project with a recording session, video and audio on Sunday. And then he's probably gonna move on to another piece. Uh, for the John Adams, I plan on doing a recording session at the end of the semester with them. So probably mid November. So we're going to have something to show for all of this, I think. They couldn't get a space for a final performance, so this is the next best thing, a moment of ingenuity that came out of the pandemic, which made me wonder, would they be doing this if there weren't a pandemic? Or even now that they have done it, would they continue? I think I, now that I've done it, I would do it again in a non-pandemic era. Um, because there are some benefits to running your own ensemble and and kind of as although we did we do have Brad kind of watching over zoom we are running the entire ensemble ourselves so I actually have gained a lot more experience coaching and um you know taking direct action in terms of my interpretation of these pieces uh, choosing repertoire things like that so there are a lot of benefits to um putting together your own group just for fun a reading group um or you know reading contemporary music as well? Well, yeah, that's a great question. And um, <laughs> I, well, I mean, with Empire, I I have I have uh, people that I call upon that I'll recruit regularly. Um, but I, so I would be doing, I would be doing that. You know, if this, if this summer has taught me anything, it's that, you know, we have a, we have an, a, a responsibility as musicians to really consider how we are programming and, you know, everything so so uh I, you know i did but yeah would have been different that's for sure but yeah recruiting ensembles definitely maybe maybe not mo maybe not mo ensemble but you know something like that george is maybe a little more open to the idea of continuing the group i was thinking about it um i would love to it really depends if we can get those players back if people have time hopefully if we can hold the same players and, and those members stick with us and want to continue working with us, I would be more than happy to uh, continue our group. Musica Nova will be back in the spring, as will Brad Loveman. So in that sense, things get back to normal, but obviously there will still be constraints and precautions they'll have to take. And Mo Ensemble, well, it could be up in the air, but what isn't during the time of COVID? Either way, both Georgia and Grant have learned a lot from this experience. And sure, it was sort of born out of necessity because of the pandemic, but they both have some big ideas for when the pandemic is finally over. Oh my gosh. I really want to perform a fete. Um, Debussy, uh, it's one of those pieces that I've just always, uh, it's always called me and I, I've, it's, a huge orchestral work, so it's definitely not something that could be done um, right now. But that would be kind of a dream piece for when the, when the pandemic is over. Well, this is going to be kind of selfish, but over the quarantine, I wrote a piece, and it is a tone poem, and I spent so long, like, and I, I uh, it was, it was a great project to do over the summer, so I was like, I would have loved to <laughs> to get to do that. It's for a small ensemble, though. But um, that's that's 
maybe that's a not as fun of an answer, but I, I, um, yeah, that that that's the first thing to to come to mind is to finally get to perform the the work that I that I worked on over the summer. <laughs> now these are Georgia and Grant's sort of post COVID dream pieces. And we didn't talk about how realistic it would be to put these things together once we can finally be closer than six feet apart from one another. But undoubtedly, Mo Ensemble has given them a unique experience that can inform how they approach future projects or how they can make their own opportunities in a post-COVID landscape whenever that happens. Yet, even though this ensemble has ultimately been a positive experience, and sure, they can probably translate the skills they learned from doing it into future concerts or ensembles, I get the sense that, like many current students, both are yearning for something simpler and non-musical. So I really look forward to um, being able to just be in like close proximity with people without being um, you know, nervous about it. I think restaurants, social gatherings, things like that. Um, I do miss it. I'm not necessarily a huge extrovert, but I really do miss being around my friends in one kind of bunch without having to like limit our time together and, and the number of people. So that's what I look forward to. Special thanks to both Georgia Mills and Grant O'Brien for taking the time to talk with me about Mo Ensemble. In addition to that project, they're actually also starting their own podcast. So it's we're, it's it's part of our um, nonprofit Empire Film and Media Ensemble, and it's a podcast that explores different media music composers. So the first podcast was all about Bernard Herrmann. Uh, wrote all the Hitchcock scores, Brian De Palma scores, and um, so we spent like three hours more than that, like talking about his entire life. And it, we, we did it in, you know, three different chunks and it was really fun. Oh my gosh, it was, it was so much fun. Good time. We'll try to share their first episode when it's ready. And if you don't already, be sure to follow the IML on Facebook. Once Georgia and Grant have their final recordings of Jesse Montgomery's source code and John Adams' Shaker Loops, we'll try to share that out on our Facebook page so you can see and hear everything they've been talking about and working on all semester. Anyway, I'm so grateful to both Georgia and Grant. They spent a lot of time with me, and there's so much we talked about that didn't make it into the episode, but I'm so happy that we were able to have those conversations. This episode was mixed by Francis Insenhofer. Thank you, Francis. And Emma Gearsall edited the transcript and came up with the idea for this episode. And if you have an idea for an episode, or if you just have questions or comments, please feel free to send me an email. My email will be in the show notes. You can also comment directly on our SoundCloud page. Thank you so much for listening. Go out, make art, do good work. From the IML, I'm Stephen Bigner. Until next time. Bye.